It's been a wonderful thing to go to school with, with people on a studying uh, stuff we enjoy in our doctoral studies and then to stay in touch and, and actually to build friendships. And I've seen a few others from our group here and, and that just uh, is a real encouragement and a joy to me. Uh, I've heard a few of the, the guys who were, guys and girls who were in our uh, doctoral studies program say that when they prepare a message, they have a voice in their head. Not voices, but a voice in their head. And I hear that voice every time I start to prepare a message. It's my father's voice. And he says, it's a sin to bore people with the word of God. This morning, as I stand here in uh, this chapel with pastors and faculty and students, uh, it's a daunting task. And I hear my dad's voice. But I also think of the reformer Martin Luther, who said, if you're going to sin, sin boldly. (laughs) So one way or another, I've got it covered today. Would you bow with me as we come before God in prayer? Our Lord God, it is you we want to know. It is you that we want to serve. It is you that we desperately need to hear from today. So I pray that you would get past me to these people, to their hearts, so that their lives can be encouraged and strengthened and better able to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. You don't really know me. Oh, you may think that you do, but you really don't. Uh, like, Like many of you, I have a very high view of worship. And like many of you, I serve, and you could say, in a role of worship leader. I have spent a good portion of my life preparing to uh, lead people in worship. And a good portion of my week is spent preparing to come into the sanctuary. So it's not surprising. I think worship's pretty important. I also happen to know that that's not a view that is shared by everyone. I suspect that in many of your churches this past Sunday, as you looked around, there were plenty of empty seats. Trust me, I'm I'm not casting judgment, just making an observation. Whatever I think of worship, whatever you think of worship, it's obvious that For a great many people, it's just a waste of time. That got me to thinking, how important is worship, really? I mean, is worship important to me because it's my job, or is it my job because it's important? Uh, Let me put it this way, how important is worship to you, personally? If uh, you don't have responsibilities at church on a Sunday, are you tempted to stay home? 
When you're on vacation and away from, uh, from home, do you seek out a place to worship when there's opportunity? These were not questions that were idle speculation to me. <laughs> they were my life blood. And I really wrestled with that question. Is worship just something of a bygone age that needs to be rethought or is there some reason why men and women of faith should make it a priority in their lives? This morning, I want to share my pilgrimage in worship. It's it's not an easy story to, to share with you. It's not easy for me because to share it, I, I have to remove my mask and show a little bit, bit of what I really am. It may not be all that easy for you to listen to, but I, I hope you will. You see, there was a time in my life, a time in my ministry, when I nearly lost my faith. I, I, I suppose I should, I should preface all this by letting you know something that will maybe help you as you hear my story. Because otherwise, you may be tempted to get up and walk out, and I, I certainly hope you won't. And that is simply this. Surely, God is good to his people. I, I really believe that. But it was that conviction, I suppose, that is what got me into trouble. I I always believed that a good theology ought to explain reality. But as I looked around and I observed the world around me, it seemed to me that what I believed just didn't square with what I observed. I mean, my assumption was God is good to his people. That meant that good people should prosper. Bad people should suffer. But in the world I lived in, it didn't work that way. In my community, there was a man who moved in next door to us. He he was a man who had no time for God, no interest in God. In fact, following God would have just gotten in his way. Well, I can't say he had no interest in God. He just made his God a different God than mine. His God was the God of money. And he did whatever it took to get an extra dollar. And I watched him and I saw this neighbor of mine and I saw how he would do anything. He would say anything. He would cut any corners just to get a little further ahead. And you know what? It worked. (laughs) I mean, I, I couldn't believe this man who was unethical and immoral was a success. 
He, he did so well that it was only a matter of a few years before he left our neighborhood and moved to a much nicer home across town in the wealthy section. <sighs> it irritated me. How could this man who had no regard for God be doing so well? You want to know the truth? I found myself thinking, his God is doing a much better job than mine. But what bothered me more, even more than his success, was this, this neighbor of mine. He was full of pride and selfish ambition. I mean, he was a self-made man. And he didn't care who he stepped on on the ladder to the top. In fact, you would ask him and he'd say, well, a little violence is collateral damage. There's got to be a little blood spilt to to get where you want to (sighs) go. He didn't care about anyone except for number one. And number one was doing quite well. I didn't understand it. How could this neighbor of mine do so well? When he, when he got home after a hard day's work, he didn't bow and give thanks to God. He just patted himself on the back. And to make matters even worse, this man, this man who had no time for God, who, who was successful, his clothes flaunted his success. For me, my clothes were just a, a necessity. For, his, for him, they were a status symbol. Wherever he went, you kind of knew that he was a success by how he dressed. And it bothered me. And his attitude bothered me. And I'll tell you something that bothered me more than any of that. This man was popular. (laughs) I mean, this man who seemed to have no regard for anyone else, it paid to be around him. It paid to to ride his coattails. And people who, who hung out with him knew that they could get jobs and positions. There were even some people in my congregation who looked up to him. I said to them, Don't you know how he gets his money? Don't you know the corners that he cuts? Don't you know that he has no regard for God? Do you know what they told me? They said, how does God know? How does God know? I mean, if this neighbor of yours is uh, doing everything wrong, why is he living the good life and you're just struggling to get by? I have to tell you, I couldn't answer their question. And as a result, I nearly lost my faith. I mean, 
I expected God to be good to his people, to me. If I followed him, I I expected that, that things would be much easier. I came to some conclusions. I concluded, quite honestly, that serving God had been a waste of my time. (laughs) I mean, I I gave of my time to lead God's people. I, I gave of my time to serve in worship. I gave of my life to God and all I had was hardship. All I had was trouble and anxiety. It, it, just, it just didn't pay off. It not only had wasted my time, but it, it had been. Nothing but pain. It seemed like every morning was a struggle. Every day was difficult, and when the month came to an end, there was always more month than money. (sighs) I thought it's just not worth it. Now, I, I want you to know, I think you understand this, probably just about everyone in this room. I was very much alone in this. I mean, where does a a spiritual leader go when lost in a forest of questions? Who can a man or woman of God who people look up to turn when their own faith is shaky and struggling? I I found that my faith was seemed to be a, a crutch that was about to break, but I was determined that if that crutch broke, no one would fall with me. So I didn't betray this to anyone. I knew that if I told people in my congregation, they might fall with me. So I kept these struggles to myself. Now, I wouldn't be here today if that were the end of my story. The fact is, my story was at its lowest. But it was at that time I had an appointment with God. I told you, I'm a worship leader. (laughs) Every week I have an appointment with God whether I'm ready for it or not. Now, I don't want you to assume that I'm saying that I was worshiping God during all of this. There are quite a few, quite a few weeks. So when I came into the sanctuary, I didn't do it physically, but I was shaking my fist at God. I was mad at God. God had not been fair. But one Sunday, one, one day, it was, it was different for me. You see, I, I came in to worship. And everything changed. Now, there are hundreds of reasons why I don't worship. <laughs> 
I mean, every week there's challenges to really focusing on God. Sometimes, sometimes it's what I have going in the afternoon or the, later on in the week and I just find myself so distracted by my schedule that, that it's hard for me to be centered on God. Sometimes it's the preaching. Sometimes it's the music, bad music. Or good music done badly. <laughs> Either way, there are all kinds of impediments to worship. But in fairness, most of them are with me. <laughs> Distracted, don't get enough sleep, frustrated, not listening. There are those days that my wife and I have this uh, knockdown, drag out fight on the way into the sanctuary. And of course, when we walk in, we have all these happy smiles, even though the steam is coming up underneath. No, there are all kinds of reasons why, why I didn't worship. But this day was different. This day as as the music was played, it was, it was almost as if a wind was, was blowing through the sanctuary. And as the scripture was read, it wasn't just words. It was words spoken to me from the voice of God. And when the choir anthem was sung, it wasn't just music. It was music that refreshed my soul, that prepared me to hear from God. And there in the sanctuary, everything changed. I realized, I realized that for weeks I'd been living in a downside up world where, where things just didn't work the way they were supposed to, where those that God blessed didn't always see those blessings in a material way, where those who had no regard for God prospered. But there in the presence of God, he took my downside world and set it right side up so I could see things as they really are. There in that moment, in that place, for the first time, I saw my neighbor differently. Surely he was the one that was in the slippery place. He was the one that a prolonged illness, a financial backlash, a failing of the banks, just death. And everything he gave his life to was nothing. He may have been a financial success at the moment, but he faced an eternal God bankrupt. I had pictured my neighbor as living in a dream. I mean, he had it made. He had the house, he had the money, he had the position, everybody liked him. And I came to realize he was just living in a dream. You know how a dream is? You, you, you have a, a nightmare and you toss and you turn and, and, and then all of a sudden you wake up 
and you go, oh, it's just a dream. It's all over. I realized that's how it would be for my neighbor when God arose. He would despise him like a dream. And I, I caught a glimpse of myself as, as I was there in that space and I saw the world differently. I saw my neighbor and I saw me and I realized I used to believe that we see things the way they really are. Come to realize we see things the way we are. And I was bitter and I was angry and I didn't want to see God. But he broke through and he showed me. He showed me that, that I had lost sight of God entirely. I was like a, a brute beast. You know, you know I, your dog. You, you get out a treat and you stick the treat in front of your dog and he looks at it. And you move it here and he, he moves. And you move it there and all the dog can see is the treat. That was me. All I could see was what was right in front of me. And I totally lost sight of God and what God was doing. And there in the sanctuary, I saw my neighbor, I saw myself, and for the first time in weeks, I saw God. I realized how patient God had been with me through this. I realized that instead of seeking God, I had sought the things that were in God's hand, things that would, would pass and be meaningless. Here, God offered me himself forever. And until that moment, I had missed it. You see, it was there in the place of worship that God took my downside up world and set it up right so I could see things the way they really are. Because of that, I'll tell you this. Worship is something that's really worth doing. In fact, I don't know how a man or a woman of God can live life without it. Oh, I still have my moments of questions and doubts and struggles. But I'm a worship leader. I lead God's people into worship every week. I have an appointment with God, whether I'm ready or not. And when I am ready and when I see God, he shows me the way things really are. And I realize how blessed I really am. Now, I have told you this true personal testimony 
What I didn't tell you is it's not the personal testimony of Pastor Tori Robinson. It's the personal testimony of Asaph, the worship leader in Israel. And since my words certainly are not inspired, let me just close by reading his personal testimony from Psalm 73. Surely, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant and when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to men. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From the callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. They're always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept myself pure. In vain I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. If I said I would speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Until I entered the sanctuary of God. It was then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors as a dream when one awakes. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them like fantasies. When my heart was grieved, my spirit embittered, I was a senseless, ignorant, brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? Beside you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart will fail, but God is my strength, the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far away from you will perish. You destroy those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Let's pray together. Lord, I am confident that Asaph's story is the story of quite a few people in this room today. 
It's not exactly my story, but I can relate to a great deal of it. Lord, I pray that we would see you. I pray that we would look past the questions and the doubt and the bitterness in our soul and attach ourselves to you, that you might take hold of our right hands, that we would serve you with gusto and encouragement and strength and hope. Thank you, Father, for meeting us here. Thank you for your encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen.